Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro, and I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Our theme today is Limits, God's Grace in Disguise. Limits, God's Grace in Disguise. Actually, I'm going to call this part one because there will be a part two, and who knows, there may be a part three. Now, I've chosen this theme because it's so large. It comes up in so often in conversation with leaders. There's so much confusion about it, a lot of wrong theology, at least a narrow theology. And so it comes up with leaders of all ages. I mean, young leaders who are anxious and eager, running ahead, uh, often burning out, growing very tired, wrecking havoc on their families and often the people they're leading, uh, running past red lights and uh, getting into all kinds of trouble. I run into it with middle-aged leaders who are discouraged because things have not moved along with their dreams as rapidly as they would have liked. Uh, They find themselves angry and quitting internally or just losing the spark uh, of what God might be doing and growing very discouraged. And then I see it in elderly people, elderly leaders, uh, as well as folks that we're serving, uh, who have not practiced limits along the way. And so now at uh, as they grow into their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s uh, and find out they can't drive anymore, they don't want to give up the car keys willingly. Uh, their children have to steal them from them when they're not looking. And some of you are actually in the sandwich generation where you've got your own children and you're caring for elderly parents. Uh, and you find yourself recognizing that they cannot let go or embrace limits just as in growing older. So, And we see it, of course, in older leaders uh, who have to do succession, have to let go. It happens to everybody. There are no exceptions. So this issue of limits is just an, a large theological theme. It's a very practical leadership issue. And for me, it has been the most difficult besetting sin of my uh, my life as a Christian, and especially my last 30 years as a leader. I would say this has been my number one challenge, because when we talk about limits, we end up, as you'll see, getting into issues of a rebellion against God. Uh, and But over time, I have grown to love them and seeing that they really are my friends sent from God as a gift of grace. In fact, today, even in my journal, and I wasn't thinking about the podcast, I'd read an article by Andy Crouch about celebrity power and just talked about the needs to have uh, accountability. And due to our limits, internal limits, especially if we're public people who have influence, and if you're listening to this podcast, it's You're a leader with influence, and the larger influence you have, the larger limits you need around your personal life of accountability. And I loved his article, and I just ended up journaling about what are the limits I have around me right now as a leader for protection in terms of accountability, and are they sufficient? I listed things like I Sabbath weekly, that's a limit. I have a board that I report to at New Life Fellowship, as well as Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You know, I do sabbaticals every seven, eight years. Uh, I don't do a lot of speaking engagements. If I do, I almost always do it with Jerry. I don't travel alone. I have another person who watches over my money, uh, who holds me accountable there. Uh, writing, Jerry's very much involved in that. Any new initiatives I take, uh, it's very much a we decision. Uh, even not taking a parking space at church and, church and parking blocks away is part of my accountability to myself. Uh, you know, Sitting in church, being a faithful member of New Life Fellowship, uh, as a staff person, not the lead pastor, is part of my limits and part of my accountability to stay you know, centered on Jesus. So here's a few questions that come up all the time. I'm going to just raise them now. And at the end of the podcast, I will answer them uh, briefly. Here's three big questions that come up often. What about vision, Pete? What about believing God? Uh, you know, a mustard seed of faith will move a mountain 
And this can sound, this issue of limits can sound very defeatist, uh, very much like unbelief or stoicism. Second question that comes up a lot is, what about breaking through limits? You know, Matthew 7, 7, ask you shall receive, a mustard seed will move a mountain, etc. And a third big question that comes up is, how do I discern if it's time to surrender to a limit or to break through it? Okay, so I want to I approach this biblically because there's a lot of revelation on limits in Scripture, although we don't talk about it often. Much like Jacob said in Genesis 28, 16, he said, surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. Well, let me tell you something. The Lord is in limits if we'll see them. Now, remember, our culture, Western culture, uh, for hundreds of years has resisted the idea of limits. I mean, uh, if you're American, uh, North American listening to this, I mean, the whole idea of the Western frontier and reaching into outer space and breaking the speed of sound, bigger, better, faster, are, are themes in Western culture. So life without limits, I mean, that's a, it's a great book title. And so we, we our flesh hates them. I mean, we, we, don't, we, we don't like them and we resist them. Now, Paul, I want to talk about Paul, and then I want to talk about John the Baptist. There's really kind of two case studies, and revolve my remarks around them because they're such great case studies. You know, Paul was arguably the, the greatest Christian that ever lived. I mean, he wrote almost half the New Testament, and he was the great apostle, founder of the church in Corinth, but yet he found himself challenged uh, in his position as an apostle by some false apostles. They were called super apostles. They had charisma. They, had, they did signs and wonders. They had extraordinary speaking gifts. Unlike him, he was weak as an order. Uh, but they were false teachers, and they twisted the, twisted the gospel. They claimed to be better than Paul. They claimed special authority from God, special revelation and experiences. And Paul just seems so ordinary. And so in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul starts saying, listen, I, I don't want to boast about myself, and you know, but I don't have a choice because of the way you're challenging me. And I so I'm going to tell you about some visions and revelations from God that he's given me. And, and I was in the third heaven, etc. cetera. Uh, but he doesn't tell us much about that. But he goes, let me show you the basis of my authority that I have uh, given by God. And he, and he bases it on his limits. And many of you know the passage in 2 Corinthians 12, and I'll read part of it here, where Paul says, because of these surpassingly great revelations, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, in ancient times, thorns were stakes in, in a battle to slow down the enemy. And Paul's saying, I've got a stake right in, the, right in the center of my being. It's cutting right through me. It calls it a thorn in the flesh. Now, he doesn't tell us what is this limit that he's wrestling with. Uh, scholars have said it's a physical ailment, some kind of eye problem or speech defect. Some said epilepsy. You know, Paul was a sick charismatic. Maybe it was a spiritual temptation, some write, uh, that he had a tendency to bitterness or a hot temper or violent temper. Others said the has said that the limit has been, you know, the agony of people opposing him or misunderstanding him. Now, we don't know. All we know is it's evil and it's causing him a lot of pain. And he repeatedly asked God, please, I want out. This is awful. And three times he cries out. And that three times is symbolic of many times and with urgency. And he's saying, and, and, and God is saying, no, Paul, you don't get it. I did this to keep you from being conceited. Actually, he says it twice in the text there. I'm, I'm, I made you weak. I put these limits in your life to free you from pride, to keep you from acting independently of me. me. And I, think about it for a minute. Paul was incredibly a strong person. And, I mean, if he had not had that thorn to keep him from being proud, he would have been on 
unbearable. Uh, I mean, I just, I, you know, what God's saying in Paul, I, I allowed those failing churches. I, I allowed people rejecting you. I allowed you to end up in prison. I allowed you to be flogged because I was humbling you. I was keeping you grounded, uh, you know, that you would say, not my will, but your will. I'm stripping you and breaking you. And that's why Paul says, he says, this was given to me, a thorn in the flesh, and that, so that God's power might rest on me. You know, God's power comes in, in weakness, he says. In fact, he says that weakness is the best display of God's power. I mean, my gosh. And therefore, Paul says, I boast so that God's power may rest on me, his Shekinah glory. So what he's saying is that limits open up a door. And the door is to communion with God. It's to a revelation of God. It's to direction. It's to depth of character. It means mission. When I'm weak, I'm powerful. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. That's the message. Now, just think about it for a minute. You know, Sarah was 90. Abraham was as good as dead at 100. And God made them a mother and father to the nations. Tremendous limits. Elijah and Jeremiah were prone to bouts of depression yet they were mightily used by God. I mean, think of Moses. He was 80. He was slow of speech. I mean, God used him to lead a nation. Tremendous limits. You know, the apostle John was in a, an island of Patmos, exiled at the end of his life, and, and he writes the whole book of Revelation. I mean, something great comes out of that limit. I mean, Jesus, the center of humanity, we're, we're, we're going into this week, uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the greatest week of the year, and here it is, the most awful event of history, the crucifixion of the Son of God, uh, turns out to be the greatest. So, I mean, what a limit. So, so this issue of thorns and limits, it cuts across all ages, all cultures, all status levels, the strongest, the smartest. It's a universal experience. And the question is, how do you see them? And, and how, do you, how are you responding to the limits around you and your leadership today? Now, you can get angry and you can freak out. You can rage and resent other people. That person ruined my life. Or you can receive God's revelation and actually love them. And you could walk with a limp, like Paul, and become softer and meek and compassionate. And, you know, God's goal is to make you compassionate and loving and kind and vulnerable and approachable. Uh, meek is the, really the biblical word, uh, like a horse that's been broken. You know, if you're like me, you know, I my, my best uh, love and compassion and tenderness has come out of increasing brokenness. Uh, if you find yourself quickly judgmental, uh, you know more is coming, limits. But God says, it's also the way I'm going to make you powerful through your weakness. I mean, just think of some of the, even just the people through history, like John Milton, you know, the great writer and poet. Uh, he was unable to actually see in the phys physically, but he saw so clearly spiritually. And in 1667, blind, he wrote the greatest epic in English language called Paradise Lost. I mean, Beethoven suffered the onset of deafness in 1801. He was totally deaf by 1817. And yet he wrote his works of greatest, his greatest works, the Ninth Symphony, in 1824. I mean, he was completely deaf and he had to turn around to see the audience applauding because he couldn't hear it or the orchestra. And we've got a woman in our church who is uh, disabled. She's blind. And she comes with her eye dog each week, along with a number of people who are blind. And she has a whole ministry called Helping Hands for the Disabled uh, around New York City. I mean, she was raised in the Bronx in a poor area. There weren't services for people like her. And But you, can you imagine, she actually has a ministry called Helping Hands to other disabled people all over New York City. It's actually quite remarkable. 
One of my favorite story, important stories, and uh, uh, and favorite stories that's really had an impact on me uh, is from Jerry Sitzer and his great book called "A Law, uh, Grace Disguised," which I, from which I took this title. And uh, he was a pr- professor; I think he still is at Whitmore, Whitmore College. And uh, he in was driving to a, re- a Native American reservation. Uh, and with his wife and his kids and his mother, and they were there, they, they were leaving, and uh, they could see a car swerving in the distance, and, uh, but it was, it was a you know, very quiet road, nobody else was on it, so he just pulled over the side of the road that it would pass. The person started speeding up, they were drunk, and ran right into him, and in one moment, his wife died, his mother died, and one of his daughters died, and uh, the driver was drunk. So he wrote these book a few years later on his reflections on grief and loss. But he makes the, the, the point of that. He says this, he goes, sorrow never entirely leaves the soul of those who've suffered a severe loss. In fact, the depth of sorrow is the sign of a healthy soul, not a sick soul. It enlarges the soul until the soul is capable of mourning and rejoicing simultaneously and of feeling the world's pain and hoping the world's healing at the same time. And deep sorrow, he writes, often has the effect of stripping life of pretense, vanity, and waste. And it forces us to ask basic questions about, you know, what's important in life. I I love the phrase, it enlarges our soul until the soul is capable of mourning and rejoicing simultaneously. Limits enlarge the soul when we surrender to them. I know for myself, uh, living and leading at New Life Fellowship for all these years has been a significant limit. Uh, New Life is, is in Queens in a very crowded area. Uh, there is not a lot of parking. Uh, it's quite a limit. And I often will go to a church in the suburbs and speak and see this massive or ample parking lot. And I can't imagine. It's not uncommon to spend 30 minutes looking for a parking space on a Sunday morning. Uh, our, our values as a church, what God's called us to do as a mission is, is such a limit to us. So we have a commitment to bridge racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers where we, we draw from monasticism, deep slowness in God, a whole emotional health, marriage to Christ, our mission to the poor. I mean, just a messy church. And, and those values limit us as well. I mean, even myself with emotionally healthy discipleship, so limited. I mean, we've got contacts around the world, but traveling, I'm not really a big traveler. Uh, do, do it occasionally. But out of that, God led us to this whole life stream, the limits of traveling, and we're, now we're able to use technology, and now we're creating some significant videos. Uh, and I'm amazed that we can be training pastors and leaders in South Africa or Australia or Eastern Europe or Western Europe or Latin America, and I can get home by 5 o'clock. It's just remarkable. Again, we don't know what God's doing. God knows the whole story. And even when God refers to Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah, he's, he's, a, he's a total idolater who destroys Israel. And God refers to Nebuchadnezzar as my servant. So, you know, even, even each night, a practice of limits for me is to come to the end of the day and say, okay, enough. And I try to use the word enough uh, because I could work 89 day hours a week and so could you. Uh, and even, you know, I love vacations and, and uh, because saying, you know, I'm disconnecting right now. When people say to me, you must be so busy, and I want to encourage you to use this. You must be so busy. You say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not busy. I'm limited. I'm limited. It's a great answer uh, because we really are limited, and we make time for certain priorities and not for others. 
in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve cross the limit given by God not to eat from a particular tree that's right in the middle of the Garden of Eden, uh, they end up unleashing hell. Uh, and the devil's territory, they've crossed the line with their limits, and it's a mess. And we're here this day because of their violation of God's limits given to them as a gift. I know I've crossed the line with my limits when I'm anxious, when I'm rushing, I'm hurrying, my body's in a knot, I'm doing too many things at once, my mind can't stop racing, I'm driving too fast, I'm not present with people, I'm irritable about the simple tasks of life, things like waiting online at the supermarket or traffic, and uh, I end up you know, hurting people, hurting others, hurting myself, my walk with God. And so I know the signs of when I'm running the limits. I can feel it in my body. And it's important you know what are the indicators, the oil lights in the car going off for you when you've crossed some limits and you're actually in the enemy's territory and you're in trouble. But really, God's intention is that the more limits you have, actually, the greater power and revelation you can expect. Let me move to John the Baptist for just a couple of minutes here, because John the Baptist is a great example of someone also who embraced his limits with joy and contentment, like few people in our culture do it today. And, uh, and the story is in John 3 when you know he's now declining in popularity and Jesus is increasing. And so his disciples come to him and say, hey, John, everyone's running over to Jesus and they're not coming to us anymore. And what are we going to do? But John's like so calm, the Baptist. He goes, he just, he's calm, he's centered, and his crowds are going down. But he says, you know what? No, no envy. And he just says, a person can receive only what's given them from heaven. And basically, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. He must become greater. I must become less. And his line, a person can receive only what's given them from heaven. He understands his limits. He rejects the temptation to cross them. He's able to say, I embrace the gift of my calling the gift of my limits, the gift of my humanity. Uh, no, I, I don't have a normal job like other people. I, I gave up my claims to comfort, clothing, food, all that. Uh, he never married. He never had children. He uh, wasn't going to grow old. He's going to die young. And he says, no, I'm just the best man. And uh, this is the reason we've come. But he's just such a peace. And, you know, I look at John. I say, why was he able to embrace his limits so beautifully? And so often we are not able to. And I think part of the reason, and I got two simple ones here. And first of all, I think that our egos are often so inflated that we, we're kind of acting as if we're God. We have these kind of fantasies that we're larger in life than we actually think. Or, we, you know, we, don't, we can't support our, our, the, these dreams that we've got about ourselves, and we end up going around crazy like maniacs. Or, or we get depressed because our desires are so high and unachievable that we don't do anything at all. So, again, I think sometimes we're not grounded. I know that for me. And and so, again, it's like workaholism, like the world's going to stop if I stop working. Uh, but the second, I think, reason why it's so difficult to embrace limits is our, our identity is wrapped up in what people think. And, you know, we get an invitation and we should say no to maybe go speak or, or go to this event. But we're more concerned about what people will say if we do say no. And so, again, we cross that line and we end up in a mess because we're not embracing our humanity. You know, many of us are trying to prove something that I can do it. And, uh, you know, we, we can't. No, I, I have a little list of 10 limits that I, I've always kept in my back pocket as core limits that are given to me and to everybody uh, by God to embrace. Uh, first is physical body. Your, your, your body is temporal. You're going to die. You need sleep. You need proper diet. Uh, you've got certain boundaries. All the plastic in the surge, sur all the plastic surgery in the world is not going to keep you from getting older. Uh, but that body is declining. I'm very aware now at age 61 
of growing older. You know, when you reach my age, you can see the end of life more than you can see the beginning. Uh, but and you know, I can't play basketball like I used to. But the physical body is is a huge limit that nobody escapes. Our family of origin is a limit. You know, I have limits to, to where which family you were born into, the opportunities that afforded that afforded you because of that family, your ethnicity, your culture, your language, the country your, of your birth. Uh, were you born with one parent at home or two, or any parents at all? Uh, whatever they gave you, even whatever they gave you, good as it might have been, even that was limited. You, you started out with a certain m- amount of capital. Same with their mar- marital stat- status, number three, that, that's a limit. Marriage or single, uh, if you have children, is a limit. You know, the type of children God gives you. Uh, number four, your intellectual capacity is is a limit. Uh, I know folks who have a photogenic mind, uh, and it's amazing. I know one fellow I'm actually friends with, he's just incredible. He can remember a book he read 15 years ago, the page and what it said. Uh, it's like he's a light walking library, but you can't be brilliant in everything. Literature, physics, engineering, music, we all have limits. Our talents and gifts are a limit. You may have three talents, four talents. You may have 10, but you don't, you're not God. You don't have all the talents. You don't have all the gifts. Um, you know, I can't run a four minute mile. I can't run a 10 minute mile at this point. Uh, but we all have talents and gifts. Number, we, we have limited material wealth. Number six, I mean, limited, it's not endless. I mean, I don't care how rich the richest person and there's still limits to it. Uh, and yet it has to be managed. Our work and relationships are limits. I mean, all the lo- all all relationships are unfinished. There, there's 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 thorns and thistles in our work, so it's never totally fulfilling. That won't be until we see them face to face. And even all our relationships are marked by labor pains. Uh, I can't be friends with everybody. I don't have perfect relationships, and uh, so that, that's a limit. Uh, eighth, my raw material of my life is a limit. I'm talking about my temperament, my my personality. Uh, I'm a high feeler, artistic, writer, thinker, you know, and it's a gift and it's a limit. And some of you are extroverts. Some of you are introverts. I, uh, you know, those are gifts and they're, they're limits. Uh, you know, time is a limit. Number nine, I mean, I only have one life to live. Uh, you may be at the end of your life and you don't realize it. You may be in the middle of your life. You can't do it all. I mean, I'd like to try different professions. Uh, it's not going to happen. You can't be a music, uh, you know, proficient person, a professor, a writer, artist, make movies, be in business, be in all the trades. Uh, you can't live everywhere in all the countries at once. You can't be in Turkey, Africa, Canada, all at one time. I mean, there's just, there's just limits of your time in life. And then finally, and lastly, there's just limits of your spiritual understanding. We are so limited. In fact, the longer I follow Jesus, the less I understand uh, I love Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, and our God is in heaven, and he does whatever pleases him. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of mystery. And so the invitation from God is to surrender to our limits. And it's not, it's not a passive thing. It's a, it's a place of prayer, actually, out of relationship with the living God. And I recognize that God in his goodness and his love, he, he's going to give me all that I want and all that I need. Well, not everything I want, but everything that I need. And... God's in charge, and, and he's got a purpose, and he's forming me for a purpose. And, and so he may have you rejected for an opportunity uh, that you had hoped for or a position or a, a limit, a, a, you know, your, your spouse or your boss or your children aren't changing or, or you find yourself physically or emotionally just wearing out more quickly. And, and God offers us the, these limits, and they're a gift. The definition of humility, one of the best I've ever heard, is it's knowing your limits and getting the help you need uh, for them. And a part of us hates limits. And, and you know, we were overloaded financially and emotionally and relationally and physically. We're just depleted. Uh, and 
we end up envying, and it's just it's just a trap. And, you know, it's been said we're the age of envy, but I I want to invite you to, to look at Jesus, who joyfully embraces his limits from the Father, doesn't go beyond them, and uh, he models for us what what a life in the Spirit is look like looks like because he's able to say in, in a place of such contentment and joy, much like John the Baptist, you know, I've completed the work that you've given me to do. It's really the heart of the Christian life. And like John the Baptist, there's a great joy in limits if we will embrace them. Uh, Judas didn't appreciate limits, uh, limits of Jesus. It was just so slow. I mean, this crucifixion thing, and uh, and he just pressured, he was pressuring Jesus, much like the crowds, much like the religious leaders, uh, much like Satan himself. Uh, but Jesus refused. So let me let me address those three questions that came up in the beginning that I mentioned. What about vision, Pete? What about believing God? This can sound defeatist. And my answer is yes, we want to be folks who have a vision for a preferred future, but we need discernment because there are some visions that are not from God, or we get partial visions and we kind of from God and we kind of fill out the rest. I think of myself in early visions I've had for what God was going to do when I planted our church uh, in 1987. I, you know, church planting, movement, English and Spanish. I, I had this vision of what God was going to do among the poor around the world. And it unfolded a lot differently than I thought. We did plant some churches, but a lot of my limits came out uh, in the process. And I realized, no, I, I wanted to help plant churches, but I didn't want to oversee them uh, like an apostle would be, a, and uh, or a bishop or a superintendent. And so I still believe most of the vision was from God, but how it played out, my, my interpretation application of it was a bit off-center, but I believe the vision was generally right uh, but you so you need discernment in that. But it's not. It's yes, we do want to have vision, but we want to be careful how much of our own flesh or imagination is in it. Uh, but number two, what about breaking through these by limits? You know, moving mountains and all that. And I again, that's a discernment question. Is God asking you to break through certain limits? So I know I had one of my big ones in my life was uh, not being a good executive uh, leader, budget hiring, firing. Uh, strategically leading an organization, et cetera, all that you would hire an executive pastor to do. And if you know my story that I wrote about Emotionally Healthy Leader book, at one point in 2006, 2007, uh, I, I really believe God led me clearly uh, to become the executive pastor at our church for a two-year period, which I did. Now, again, Jerry was involved in that. My Our board was involved in that. But I did it because I really believed God was calling me to learn it and integrate our emotionally healthy discipleship into the executive leading of the church. And out of that came the whole Emotionally Healthy Leader book. It changed my life, actually. And I really did grow in the executive functions of leadership. And I did it really, although I wasn't point leader of it after two years, I was deeply involved until I stepped down as lead pastor at New Life Fellowship uh, six, seven years later. But it was, it was such a unique situation because I really believe God was calling me to do it. And my gifts developed. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm great at it, but I became quite good at it, I believe, and and learned a lot and took our church to the next level. So again, you have to discern that. Is God calling you to break through that? But then thirdly is, how do I discern when it's time to simply surrender to God's limit? Enjoy, much like John the Baptist, much like Jesus. And again, I it's a discernment question. I, I believe it comes out of not simply self-knowledge, but of being still before the Lord. Uh, in other words, that that sense of, okay, God, what are you saying? And then you do need 
community, wise mentors, spiritual directors, counselors, friends, spouses, uh, that can give you a little bit of perspective uh, from the outside. And, and so I find that limits uh, people around me can often see where it's really for my good, much like it was for Paul, and really is a gift. And I can't tell you that when we fail, to, strong enough, when we fail to see God in our limits, we are missing great revelation. So we've got to look for God in the limits around us because God is going to show up in ways you never dreamed. This is such a vast topic that uh, next week will be part two on this. But I want to invite you also to send me questions on Twitter or my personal Facebook page at Pete Scazzaro. Or you can actually even email me at info at emotionallyhealthy.org a case study. In fact, the best way to teach something is through case studies. Uh, So I invite you to send me one. Again, at info at emotionallyhealthy.org or on Twitter or my Facebook page at Pete Scazzaro. Now listen, we cannot do, we cannot give what we do not possess. We can only give what we do possess. Great leadership comes out of a deep discipleship with Jesus. And leadership is really highly applied discipleship. For this reason, we've moved into embedding the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship courses into churches and ministries. So I want to invite you to go to our website at emotionallyhealthy.org, get the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Kit, get trained, and then do that course. And uh, because I'm telling you, great leadership flows out of deep discipleship. Thank you so much. It's been great to be with you. See you next week.